0: just a bloke in a bar what is up ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of bloke in a bar it is a very special episode because as australians we've won the world cup we are officially world champs you know look let's be honest coming into this ranked fourth in the world almost offensive almost offensive but it is what it is you can rank us wherever you want We are the world champs. We're the best side in the world. And I will say that that came from external rating systems. A lot of the players, I think even Fisher Harris said, look, Australia is still the best side in the world before they played them. Um, Incredible scenes, incredible scenes. Quickly, bloke soccer jerseys. Wednesday, 6 p.m. They are hot. They are sexy. They're everything you ever needed. Go to our Instagram. Look at Nico. Go deep into his eyes. Realize (laughs) that the reason he looks that good it's because he's wearing a bloke soccer jersey and not because he's hot all the time. (laughs) Now it's 6 PM Sydney time. So 5 PM Brisbane time, that is Wednesday. There is limited amount. Plus they are slightly slimmer fit. So basically they're a normal soccer Jersey. People that, you know, play soccer would know they're slightly slimmer fit. So if you want to have one that's not as fitted, go a size up, or even if you want a bag, you go up a size again. Um, they are they are they're so nice. Honestly, they're perfect for summer. Even if you don't enjoy soccer, I'm telling you right now. I mean, like, look, this is a soccer jersey I'm wearing right now. Like, I didn't even really watch soccer that much, but they're just comfy. They're just comfortable. Seriously, you throw them on. They're durable. They they breathe easy. So, bloke soccer jersey Wednesday 6 p.m. Sydney time or New South Wales time 5 p.m. <laughs> Brisbane time. Limited and there's a, like very limited guys. So get there, grab it. We've got brown. We've got white. But let's get into the chat. Let's get into the chitty chat. Australia defeat Samoa 30 to 10. What an incredible World Cup we've just witnessed. I'm not going to lie. The first few games, I was like, it's great as an opportunity for these nations to get an opportunity to basically show their nation they play rugby league, exposure, all that great stuff. But as we got into those finals games, she ramped right up and I was fully, fully invested I just think that this World Cup has been an out of this world success. I think that the impact it's had on everyone, whether it's, you know, young kids watching Nathan Cleary fight against the critics and say, "Hang on a sec, I'm the best halfback in the world." I don't understand. Like put it this way, Teddy Munster, even Lachlan came out and said, "I don't get this this chat about Cleary like Teddy said it perfectly. At the start of the tournament, he was the best player in the world. By the end of the tournament or before the World Cup final, all of a sudden, he can't play in big games. Absolute nonsense, guys. Nonsense. It is done. It is done. Now, you might be sitting there going, oh, but then haven't you said that he needs to own an origin? Ra ra. That's what we're talking about. If he owns an origin, that's the last piece of the puzzle for greatness, for goatness. <clears throat> That's how far along this guy is. He is a twenty-five-year-old superstar. We'll get into it more in detail because it's, I really want to talk about this in regards to um, Cleary. Samoa's impact in the world has been honestly inspiring. I think it's it's almost brought other nations together, which is beautiful. But Guru, the World Cup, how's it been for you, mate?
1: Yeah, mate, I've loved it. Him from a kangaroo's perspective, like. I think people forget that, you know, the last test match that we played before this World Cup was our loss to Tonga, which was, you know, an incredible moment in rugby league, but as a Kangaroo fan, incredibly disappointing at the same time. It was great to see, but it killed me watching the Kangaroos lose like that. So to see them bounce back in this tournament, as you said, Ken, be the fourth in the world coming into this tournament, which was an absolute stitch up, uh, great to see them uh, sitting back on top of the mountain where they should be.
0: Timmy, how'd you feel about the World
1: Cup,
2: mate? Yeah, very proud Australian today, Kempion. and just, just good that the, the Aussie underdogs were able to come into this tournament. Um, you know, the, people gave us no hope, ranked fourth in the world, but we were able to sort of fight against the odds and, and come out with a, with, a, with another title. So very proud of the Aussies and, mate, very proud rugby league fan as well. We put on what was a, a really an unbelievable tournament and just to see that the bridge gap, um, from four years or the last World Cup to now, between the Tier One and the Tier Two nations, how tightly that's become, how close across the board. I think the World uh, the World Cup was the final. There was a little bit of a gap in the eventual scoreline, but some of the tight results we saw upsets, very nearly a lot of other upsets as well. Um, I think it's a testament to rugby league that. You know, two years of coming through COVID where there wasn't a lot of rep football and international football uh, to produce a tournament such as this with all the class that there was, was, it was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And people will point to the obvious things like Samoa or, you know, England looking a bit better or New Zealand getting close to Australia. But we have to remember, New Zealand squeaked past Fiji and PNG only just lost to Tonga. So you go even a step further and you've got Fiji and PNG. Now, I know PNG in their last game weren't great, but most of the tournament, we've got teams underneath Tonga and Samoa that are nearly there. Mm. So you, you get to a point where there's a chance. Now, I'm not saying it definitely will happen, but there's a chance we go from having, what, four teams that can win it to potentially six by the next World Cup. Uh, with uh, PNG and Fiji. So from a perspective of like the impact of this World Cup and, you know, all the naysayers saying, oh, you know, it'll never work and there's such a big difference. Like, I disagree. Think about it. Like, if PNG, sorry, if Fiji get a call, they knock New Zealand out of the World Cup and play Australia in the World Cup. uh, If at the start of the tournament, PNG get a few calls their way, they may be sitting in the group in a different place, also much more confident, much more uh, energetic heading into that final game. Uh, England, like they get a, a call or two, they are in the grand final. Like it's, it's just, um, it's, it's incredible what this World Cup has done, and I, I believe it's exceeded our expectations. I really do. From a football perspective, I believe it's exceeded our expectations.
1: And as you said, Kempi, at the start of this World Cup, I had four teams that I thought could win it. Samoa wasn't one of them. So, like, once again, that, that, that's expanded out to five now. Like, I'm going to look at Samoa completely differently, to to be honest with you, what I have for the last six years, essentially.
0: Oh, mate, the Samoa story. I will say this. I'm going to let everyone in a little secret. It was absolutely stinging me seeing Aussie say that I don't mind if Samoa wins. I'm just going to say it. Boom, put it on the table. It was stinging me, and then I was like, maybe I'm too passionate about my country or Australia or whatever. I understand where they were coming from, like because it is such a good narrative, It's so good for rugby league from a perspective of like purely rugby league. But when I was reading those comments and that, I was like, bruh, what's going on? We like, are you Australian or not? Get behind the boys. Um, but outside of that, I understand the, the the I guess the the reasoning for saying something like that because the impact of Samoa. I mean, we had the rock sending videos. We had, I think it's, uh, the dolphins, one of the NFL players sending videos saying, let's go the, the, we had, you know, I think it was in Goodna, one of the craziest, uh, gatherings of Samoans to celebrate. I mean, they had a bloody police escort. Um, we're talking about a country that has 200,000 people, uh, living on it currently, uh, according to the latest data, uh, um, it's, mate, it's amazing. It's been such a good World Cup. Uh, now, But let's get into the game quickly. Let's get straight into the game. I think that this is... I'm like almost a bit... I feel like a negative Nancy because we won and I thought the boys' defense was fantastic. But I also think... I thought... Put it this way. The, essentially, I think it was the second last try when we went right to Cleary, left to Munster... Inside Tedesco, I nearly climaxed. I nearly climax, <laughs> Because I was like, finally, Cleary and Munster have had long enough to play together to put stuff like that on. That was a try purely from structure from picking teams apart with making space where space needs to be made by understanding certain mark it wasn't a try from Latrell just going absolutely nuts and bouncing someone or Addo Carr's incredible speed you know or strength from Liam Martin it was a try from people playing together so what what is great for Australia is we won the World Cup but I don't think we're even close to where we can be with Nathan Cleary, Munster, Tedesco, and Benny Hunt. I want to get into more detail about that uh, that setup as well because it's, it's a really interesting dynamic that I'd love to explain. But Guru, am I being a negative Nancy and should we should just focus on the win? Well, what's going on?
1: No, but I agree with you. And I understand people get upset because we are nitpicking a little bit. But, I mean, it, it is genuinely the first time throughout this entire World Cup where they scored a team try, rush out there and went... That's the kangaroo standard. That's what what we've been been expecting of our teams for the last 40, 50 years. So I agree with you, mate. And I love on that play, and I'm sure you'll talk about it more, but from the TV view, you could see it was going to happen and you knew there was no way to stop it. You just knew that when it was going to go through those four sets of hands, even when Teddy first touched it, he wasn't even through the (coughs) hole yet and you knew they're not going to get anywhere near him here. It was just – it's the first time we've seen that spine link up like that and it was very – Smith, Slater, Kronk-esque. It, it was that classic play that we haven't really seen something like that in a Kangaroos jersey for quite some time, whether it be COVID or, or, or whatever it is. But it was great to see them finally link up and really look like a true Kangaroo side.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 so unfair because I'm constantly watching the Australian side going, well, the standard is Smith, Slater, Lockie, Thurston, Kronk, Thurston. That's the standard. And we got so used to these guys tearing teams apart when they wanted to, that it's unfair to almost put that pressure on a new spine, a completely new spine. What about you, Timmy? Do do you feel like, although the boys were incredible in defense, I I, I want to talk about that as well because we'll talk about that in a sec. But do you feel like we're not even scratching Well, We're not close to where we can be in the in the future years.
2: Definitely, mate. This side has got... There's so much more upside to what they can become once they get more and more time on ground. And, you know, you boys beat me to it. But as soon as that try was scored, it was just Smith, Cray, Smith, Slater, Cronk. How immaculately they used to put these plays together. The outside in, back inside the Slater as the fullback. The way they put that together was just poetry in motion when it comes to rugby league and... A lot of what Australia did through this tournament was superstars making superstar plays that you touched on with Luttrell and Teddy and Fox and these sorts of things. But it's that sort of craft and picking sides apart that I think the the pure footy fans are sitting there going like this is what this is what we have a podcast about to talk about the intricacies of the game and the way they pull sides apart and uh, like it's mastering rugby league to me.
0: Mm, oh man, absolutely. And like <laughs> even the tiny details that you may have missed. RCG gets on his knees so the ball can go over his head. Like that is just ah, bellissimo. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Now, I want to talk about the spine. It's something that, like, I I was kind of feeling going into it, but I didn't give it enough credit. So I went back and, like, had a look just at the the last generation that kind of came through. And it was obviously the Queensland generation, that spine of, of Queensland, essentially. And I looked at it and I was like, you know what's interesting about that was there was always a clear path of hierarchy. So like it would go Lockyer and then he'd pass it on to Thurston and then maybe Thurston to Smith and then Smith to Cronk or or whatever, like well, Smith stayed on. What I'm saying is there was a clear path of who the guy was that was leading the players around. And I I thought it was like when I looked at Cleary and we were going, okay, some of the, like, there was probably two games where you're like, he doesn't really look like he's stamping his authority on the game the way he does in Penrith. But then I took a step back and I go, hang on a sec, Cleary coming into this tournament, I, and look, when you watch players, we're all guilty of it, and it's it's only natural, but we watch players on TV and they become larger than life. They, they, don't, they, they stop becoming people and they start becoming ideas in our head of, like, something bigger than a normal person. We don't think they're... Not human, but we put them up on a pedestal and go, wow, greatness. But you have to remember, he was 24 coming into this camp. This is a 24-year-old. So when he was 16, 15, 16, he was watching Ben Hunt, Munster, Tedesco, all these guys tear up the NRL. So he's going into a squad with his seniors. And so to, to expect Cleary to just walk in and go, boys, this is the way I'm doing it, especially when Tedesco is the captain, it's it's impossible. He's a human being that that respects hierarchy. It's why I mean his humbleness is why he's so loved by so many people. Is because he doesn't get ahead of himself. He's not too big for his boots. Like even after he'd won the World Cup, he was like, oh mate, still got a lot to do. And he wasn't so. He didn't sound um, like he was just lip service. And so I think that didn't get enough credit. Where if you're on the field with James Tedesco and he calls the ball or takes a skew, are you going to go over to him and say, Oi, fuck, when I say get the fucking ball, Whereas when we look at the yesteryear, when Lockyer says to Smith or to Slater, Oi, we're getting right there, or when Smith says to Cronk or to Slater or to Thurston, Oi, we're getting right there, the hierarchy is clear. And I even, I even read a few articles where they said by the end of the tournament, Cleary was talking a lot more in meetings and saying what he wanted and what he didn't want. And that's just a natural progression. So for people that expected Cleary just to walk straight in and run that side like Penrith, they're not appreciating this is a 24-turning just turned 25-year-old, showing respect to his elders and people that have been there before him. And also, you could argue like, okay, Teddy's the captain, but is Munster the man? Is Benny Hunt the man? Like it's it's very it's it's a really interesting dynamic. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on on I guess that and I guess how you felt clearly answered the critics in the, in the grand final.
1: I also think something that we need to consider off the back of that, Kempi, is like, you, you go back to um, 2006, and me, me and Maddie spoke about this the other day, the Anzac Test. That was Andrew Johns' last Test match and Danny Bediris' last Test match. From that day until essentially the day Billy Slater retired, the entire spine has been Queenslander. Whether it was mm. Billy Slater, Darren Lockyer, Thurston, Cronk, whoever these guys <coughs> are. So for the last 15 years of Test match footy, whenever we get to a Tri-Nations or a World Cup, you've got this spine... The vast majority of them are playing club football together. The rest of them are playing rep football together. So they get six weeks smack in the middle of the season, get all their structures, get used to each other. This team, this Kangaroos team, you think about it, you've got the two hookers, they're Queenslanders, the five eights are Queenslanders, the halfbacks are blue and the, and the and the fullbacks are blue. None of them play in the same football team except for Harry Grant who plays 30 minutes off the bench and Cam Munster. Like, we haven't been in this situation as a Kangaroo side in a very long time, which is unbelievable to think about. But... And this is why the three of us were so big on why aren't we playing our Fools team? Why aren't we playing our best spine now? Because they need all the time in the world to get themselves ready. You also think about, and, you know, as you mentioned, Nathan Cleary, 24-year-old coming into this camp. Normally when you come into a World Cup camp, you might be one of four debutants. He was one of 13.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, it's, it's, a compl- yep. it's an unprecedented situation off the back of COVID where you've got so many debutants in this side, a 24-year-old halfback coming in to lead this team with a 5'8". He's never played a game of football with. A hooker, he's never played a game of football with. Two hookers, he's never played a game of football with. It's it's a pretty unique situation. I do just think we need to take that into consideration as well, obviously.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And and, and just to add on to your point, not only were was it the Queenslanders playing together, they, had, they were under the storm system. Yeah. Like, that Queensland side played like the storm. Like, it's that simple. And so, like, obviously, Lockie would bring his, you know, touches into it or whatever, but he fell into, okay, well, if I'm going to be the leader, let's play this kind of way. Um, and so they had so much time to play together. I actually think it's... Um, I don't think Cleary is going to get enough appreciation. I know people are saying that he played really well in the grand final. He was personally my man of the match. Just pipped Tedesco, in my opinion, even though Tedesco was outstanding. But I just thought the weight of expectation, the way he finished the game, I just gave it to Cleary. But I actually think that he deserves even more raps for his ability. What did he end up playing? Four full games? And by the end of the fourth full game in a World Cup at Old Trafford, with massive pressure on him, like articles coming out saying he's been a dud, blah, 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 at Old Trafford. And it's not just like Old Trafford to him, uh, you know, he's a soccer fan as well, is massive deal. He comes out and puts on a performance like that. Like, I, I just think it's incredible. It's a testament to we're watching greatness. We, we are truly watching greatness. Honestly, even if he doesn't go on to to have his origin series like Joey did 2005, Freddie, rah rah. Even if he doesn't do that, he's still one of the best sevens to play the game, in my opinion. Like I just I can't unless he gets injured or he just completely checks out, I can't see a world where this guy doesn't win at least another premiership, <coughs> multiple origin series, twenty five years old, and he just turned twenty five. It's incredible. This guy, guys, just whether you love him or hate him, I don't know how you can hate Cleary, but whatever sit back and realize that we are in greatness right now we're sitting in it's, it's like when we used to watch joey or you know when Lockie is coming through you kind of take it for granted you're sitting there going oh yeah how good's Lockie?" all right you don't realize that you're watching greatness until it's gone that even the Queensland eight in a row like i feel like we didn't appreciate it enough because you're sitting there going we ex- that was that will never happen again timmy what do you reckon about the whole situation
2: yeah, mate, and like despite all this the phenomenal external pressure that was on him to come in here and be the best player in the tournament and dominate and lead us to victory, as I a, said, when he was coming into the tournament at 24 years old, at least to, to the public eye, he didn't even know if he was going to be the starting seven in the big games. It was all clearly VDC and all of that, let alone he has to come in in his debut test and try and steer them to victory and be the hero and do all of these things. And the other thing we forget is that As I said, when you talk about his age, most football players, and especially halves who need to learn the art of getting a team around the park, and as you said, Kempi, that natural progression of leading, you know, elder players, people that have more experience than you, that you have to do as a halfback, you don't peak as a half until your late 20s. I would love to hear all the best, the Cooper Cronk, um, you know, Joey Johns, all these blokes talk about when do you think you played your best footy and when do you think you really learnt the game? I think they'd all say, you know, 29, 30 years old, they would all definitely say that they didn't master or get close to mastering the art of, of the craft of playing half-back and getting a side around until they retired and you're always learning that. So, Cleary, the best is still to come from him and I'm very confident in saying that and as far as this Australian team goes, as you said, Kempy, he, he's got the cohesion with him now. He has games under the belt with this, this side and uh, we've got a lot of exciting football to come with that bloke. The,
1: the play that stood out for me with Cleary was when... Angus Crichton got the ball out the back. Stephen Crichton came up and put a really good shot on him. And you could see Nathan Cleary, he was a dummy half the play before in front of the sticks and he sprinted around to the other side of the ruck and just he knew he had Luttrell there and he just went, I just need to put him in that space where Stephen Crichton should be. And it was the first time I've gone, okay, he owns this fucking team. That's something that Joey would have done. Joey would have identified that that defender was out of the line in the play of the ball. That's where the ball needs to go right now. And he didn't, he didn't have to do too much, but he had to put himself in the right spot and get the ball there as quickly as he possibly could. And they were never going to stop Latrell. Even then, moment. like,
2: he played pretty deep into the line. There were blokes turning oh. hips in. I think it was, was it Milf. Milf turned his hips in maybe yep. straight to him. It's like, clearly after sprinting to the other side of the field, he drew in defenders. Like, it wasn't just a simple see it, give him the ball. He had a lot to do. Like, oh. It was, it was great oh. to see him finally own
1: that team. Mm.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree, boys. And, and I would scream, I'd see him, kick it, ah, kick it. Because it was a fifth tackle. <laughs> I'm screaming pressure, build the fucking pressure. <laughs> what do I know about rugby league? Like, so it's, the thing is, is like that—that that wasn't fucking third play. That wasn't third play where oh, let's let's try something. That's start of the game. If he hits Latrell there and Latrell gets tackled, oh, fuck me, Cleary, you're one of the best kickers we've ever seen. Put it in the fucking in goal and get a repeat set. But he he had the confidence at Old Trafford in his first ever World Cup, his fourth game for Australia. To take the, as you said, Guru, to say, I'm wrapping around and I'm making a fucking play and it's and I'm happy to take the negative, whatever happens with it. Uh, it just, he was outstanding. Some of his defense too has been really good. Like he's just, yeah, he's so impressive. I, I love watching him play. Um, it's actually funny. So I'm watching the, I'm watching, I watch, got to watch it on like my big screen this time. Usually I have to watch it. Um, on my phone because I'm a really good husband that takes my wife places. Oh, this Um, poor guy. Don't you feel for it? Traveling around Europe watching on his phone. Yeah. It's been tough. It's been tough. And hopefully the the wife appreciates, you know, how well I've treated her. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so I got to this time I was like to the wife, I was like, Look, it's the grand final. You need to go and get your nails done. Have a good time. I'm gonna put it on the TV. Sit back and enjoy it. <laughs> anyway, so I'm fucking yelling at TV. Go, you fucking mad dog! <laughs> yelling at TV. As I walk out after the game, the people next door walk out at the same time and they were like, looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> um, so I was into it, loving it. What, what another thing I love about this, the World Cup, is that it gives us an opportunity to love players from other clubs. Perfect example. Oh, how many people fucking love Jackie White and Liam Martin right now? Like, Two players like Jackie White, and honestly, I I am a believer to the nth degree now. As I said last week, there was a time there where I was like, "He's a good player, but is he that tippity top cream of the crop kind of guy?" And I just think not only this Origin series that he didn't get selected for Game Three, but sorry, boys, I won't bring that up. Um, <laughs> not only the Origin series, but this World Cup for me has just cemented that it doesn't matter where you. And to be fair. For game three, I did say they should have Jackie White on the bench, but doesn't matter where you have him, he is being he. He could play front row. Seriously, that's mm. how much faith I have in Jackie White, and I know it sounds crazy. I'm not saying start front row. I'm saying come on and get the job done. I thought he was incredible, Liam Martin. It's just given us gives you like, I think we forgot that feeling of like, oh, I can actually really like this player that plays for Penrith or plays for Eels or plays for whoever it is. And I just loved watching that and seeing people react that way. Did you what, what did you who was your, I guess, unsung hero this uh this World Cup? I'll just, I'll just jump in quickly.
2: Not not just clubs, but origin as well. Like it's the first yeah. time as a blues fan I can really sit back and enjoy watching Cameron Munster when I really want mm. to enjoy him all the time. So it's a yeah, great it's point. Such you bring a good up. point.
0: Mate. That's a great point. Like seeing the mad, seeing the mad dog do his thing, stripping, fucking doing all this, just breaking games apart. And oh. usually you're sitting there going, fuck me. Stop <laughs> doing all that monster. Whereas now you can be like, go Yo, you mad dog. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Mate, I think for me, my unsung hero is the other guy you spoke about, Liam Martin. Uh, we've been banging on, on this podcast for so long about just how good Liam Martin is and how underappreciated he is. Uh, man of the match in the semifinal. Um, I was talking to Maddie before. Maddie said that he would have given him man of the match in the grand final, which I can understand. He was sensational. He, he was in my top two, top three players. So to see Liam Martin finally get <laughs> some recognition, I don't know how it evades him so consistently for so long. But when I think about his last, you know, three big games... The NRL grand final, he was tremendous. I think he played himself into this team off the back of that to then get man of the match in the semi and to be one of the best players on the field in the grand final. Uh, He's my unsung hero, mate. I love watching Liam Martin.
0: (laughs) Oh, I agree 100%. Matter of fact, I'll go as far to say as he wasn't in my starting 13. It was Cam Murray, Angus Crichton, and Isaiah Yeo at 13. And I would, honestly, it would be one of my most staunch selections where I wouldn't even consider budging even though he was outstanding in the grand final and he had a good final series as well. But now I'm like, you know, as we discussed, we were all a bit Cam Murray off the bench, but I have to say Mal Meninga And when we identified it a few weeks ago, the, the idea of like, okay, yes, Cam Murray is a great player. And yes, you do probably want him on for 80 minutes, but the impact he can have through the middle is fucking invaluable. And he proved it two games in a row with huge plays. Um, and so Liam Martin I'm um, just amazing, and he's just—he's such a mongrel. He had some big hits again in the grand final. It's just, I—he's I, going to be a player that is almost—you know those like really cult, not cult hero because he's bigger than that, but those those mongrels that we love and we just know he's going to—he's almost like a, a a clean mongrel. He doesn't—he doesn't really get involved in any. Too much of Niggle, unless you watch the some of the origin stuff, but I won't get into that as, <laughs> a, as a Queenslander. He's the sort um, of
1: guy, Kempy that I think if this Australian squad was picked the week before the NRL Grand Final and Liam Martin wasn't in it, I don't think too many people would have been upset. I really don't. It was yeah, after the Grand Final that everything mm-hmm. turned. I remember having conversations with heaps of followers that – didn't have Liam Martin in this in their squad. Not their 17, their squad, because there was so many classy back rowers going into it. You remember, like, there was all the talk about Sean Lane, Hudson Young, all these sort yeah. of guys that... Nanai. Nanai, yeah. All these people, like, a lot of us had Liam, uh, them in front of Liam Martin, and it was... I think it was after the grand final. I think he genuinely played himself into this squad and then somehow played himself into the starting side to move Camaro to the bench. It's incredible.
0: Timmy, who was your uh, unsung hero? I
2: think the one for me, um, and it was... Similar to Matty's point of like, probably more along the lines of someone that I could appreciate because we were outside of NRL level, and and it's Val Holmes being a Queenslander who, it's like so you know you get you get brought up to say you dislike people or teams or whatever it might be. You don't hate them, but I hate Queensland. So to be able to, so to be able to watch the the guy like Cam Munster and Val Holmes and just to be able to appreciate of how good they are val holmes i think because our left edge of Latrell and fox was so dominant they got a lot of the a lot of the, the accolades and the talk was all about that and rightly so the right edge yeah they val and jackie and didn't have probably as much ball but they had a few moments but val holmes is just turned into such a complete outside back and when i say turned into he has been for a long time we know this but he just doesn't make mistakes. His defensive read just about every single time is sublime. He doesn't fall off tackles. He can switch between wing, centre, and fullback and be one of the best in the world at any of those three positions. On top of that, he's a tremendous goal kicker. Val, I just my appreciation for him, this world Cup went to a whole new level. He, it was brilliant.
0: Oh, mate, I totally agree. The amount of tough carries. Like, what I loved about the side is... You had, had uh, Latrell and Fox, who were the – it's funny. I think Wayne used to be like this at the Broncos, where we'd have one side that was just strike, <laughs> like just absolute incredible strike. And then you had this other side that had strike in them, but just get through the dirty work. And I just think the White and Holmes, they had as much impact on the World Cup, in my opinion, as Latrell and mm. Addo Carr. But it's impact that you're not going to see on the highlight reels. Like, for example, Samoa had us under pressure. Who was the bloke that sprinted back to the 20, hit Val Holmes on that short ball? It was Jackie White to Val Holmes. And, and that's something that, like, these are the little one percenters. Like, Val Holmes doesn't have to be there. If he's not there and Jackie White takes that hit up, everyone just goes, oh, mad, mad hit up from Jackie White. And, and, and the play goes on. He takes a scoot after that. But he hit that ball like he was already calling for it, like it was a, a set play. And Now, maybe it was. Maybe at training they had sat down and said, if there is a quick 20 centers and wingers, you must be there. That turned the game on its head. And I'm not saying that Samoa would have gone on a win, but I tell you what, if they had got the 40-20 call, which they should have got, and White, Jackie and White doesn't make that play, what's the score? Is it 30-10? to I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think one. that...
2: There was one, Kempi, sorry? sorry to cut you off, mate, um, um, yeah, in a similar regard with Val. And, and I'm pretty sure it was in the semi against the Kiwis, but I had a jotting down, didn't speak about it. might have been the quarter, but I'm, I'm pretty certain it was against the Kiwis. And Val, I think, a bomb went up and he was sort of up in the line and he, he flew back because it was Teddy's to catch. You know, Teddy drops one in about 4,000 bombs. And I can't remember if he let it bounce or if he he went to take it and it bounced backwards or something. But for whatever reason, Teddy stuffed it up and Val had come a mile off his wing just to be there just in case Teddy stuffed it up. He saved a play, saved a try, and just, as you said, such an enormous turning point in that game, Um, but little things that just go completely overlooked.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and take it back to Origins. Sorry, boys, but I think you did a chip, (laughs) and it looked like like New South Wales scoring for sure, and the game would have been completely different. Val Holmes did one of the best pickups I've ever seen on a footy field, just sliding in and, and getting clattered by like three blues players and holding onto the ball. He's just that, as you, you, you've talked about it perfectly Timmy, It's like, he was a superstar before he left, but now he's rounded out his game to be like, I'm a, I'm a class above. Plus I'll give you all those one percenters, all those one percenters that usually battlers give you. Usually the, the, the selling point for a battler is I'm not going to make mistakes. I'm going to get through a ton of work. Whereas Val Holmes is going to go, I'm going to give you that. Plus there's more. I'm a superstar. It's incredible. Incredible stuff.
1: Can, can I just throw um, in one other guy, can be sort of underappreciated, undervalued, and we've been speaking about it for two years, but it happened once again. I was looking through, I can't remember which publication it was, but they went through and they named each player for the Kangaroos and gave them a rating for their World Cup. Whoever it was, Isaiah Yo got a 7.5, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you have a look at Isaiah Yo's last two weeks so this is semi-final and final he made 86 tackles with zero miss and ran for 300 meters <laughs> can you imagine if a debutant or a young guy would have come in and done that they would have got a nine out of ten but we are so used to what Isaiah Yo does week in week out that we just take it for credit constantly me and maddie were talking about this earlier today it's the same as you know if J- if james Cinesco does what he does every single week it's an eight but if a young guy comes in and plays the same game as teddy it's a fucking 11. Yeah. <laughs> With Isaiah, oh, yo, mate. we just sleep on him constantly. I couldn't believe the
0: 7.5. Well, guess, this is even crazier, and I, um, I think it's correct. He didn't miss a tackle all tournament. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, averaged, he averaged over 40 what? tackles a game.
1: And does that surprise <laughs> anyone? Like, honestly, That's like, it's Isaiah, yo, this is what he does.
0: Oh, <laughs> mate, and the amount of tough cat like, he doesn't take the, like, oh, quick play the ball. I'm out the back. I'm getting a tip on from a front rower. He takes some of the shittest hit-ups you can take. And every time he splits the line, like, I just, I don't care what anyone says. There's not a soul on this earth that when they first saw Isaiah come into grade would develop into such a complete 13. Like, if he keeps this form up, like, is he like is he getting up there? Like with some of the better 13s? Like, I'm not gonna, you know, put him in with the the, the goats or whatever. But fuck me, back-to-back premierships, world cup wins, part of the record win by New South Wales. Now, he has a long way to go in regards to you know putting all the stats up, but fuck me. I'll, I'll put it this way: you pick your best 13 on their best day, Chuck Isaiah Yo on his best day. He'd hold his own at the very least, in my opinion. Like if if he plays his best, which he has been playing for a few years now. Plus he's so consistent. Like tell me over the last few years, have you ever seen Isaiah o play a bad game or negatively impact a game? Like
2: it's just, just to clarify, it was it was not miss a tackle in the finals of the World Cup. So like the last three games. Wow.
0: The last three games. I've That's got, crazy. Yeah, I've
2: got he missed He missed one tackle against Italy in five games. No,
0: no, no. no. The stat man missed something. The stat man's fucking (laughs) chucked it on there, thinking it was like, yeah, you know why? Because all the fucking numbers are all fucked up. it was, bloody the, it was bloody one of the wingers that missed a tackle and it's gone on Isaiah's record. He could have broken a record. First bloke to not Mr. Tackle. Can we just talk about these numbers? Because I'm telling you, it fucking made me furious. You want to talk about ruining a viewing experience? It is honestly one of the worst content decisions I've ever seen in my life. The, the amount of times I didn't know who the fuck was running the ball. And I'm we're, we're talking about, I don't know about you guys, but like, I watch rugby league as much as anyone, and I'm sitting there going, oh, who was that? Or oh, who's that? Who's in that position? If if they ever do this again, we should all write. Put it that way. We should all write. We we, you know what? If they do this again, we should storm the Australian Rugby League capital.
1: Kempi, I'm keen uh, as fuck to lay the shoe in over this, but I'm just going to take you back to Isaiah for a quick second. How many games do you reckon he played at lock before 2020 in his career?
0: Oh, no. Maybe... Four or five?
1: Nine games. So he only started playing in his mm. best position cool. three years ago and he's already the best in the game at it. Can you imagine? Like he's been playing first grade since 2014 or something. Can you imagine if he would have come straight into first grade and gone straight to the lock position? Like he, he's played he's played more games at second row than he has at lock in his career. It's um if he would have started from oh. the very start at lock and like had that extra five years to really own that position, it's scary what he could have achieved. He played a bit of
2: centre too early on, didn't he? He played
1: 25 games of centre, yeah. 90 games in the back row <laughs> before he became a lock. So he played 100 games of first grade before he found his position.
0: And, and what's it's just incredible about his, his series is I don't even think they used his ball playing close mm. to what they usually do. So he said, okay, it's a different setup." Teddy obviously gets involved quite a lot around the ruck there. I'm going to deliver something. Like, talk about a well rounded player where you can go, Oh, my biggest weapon that has won us two premierships in a row, three grand finals in a row. I'm just going to put that in the pocket and I'm going to give you something else. It's incredible.
1: And just to add on to that, when he was playing in the back row, he played 90 games, won 48, lost 42. When playing lock, 77 games, he's won 64 and lost 12. (laughs) Jesus.
0: (laughs) That's That's outrageous outrageous um now let's talk about big trelly mitt Nado car oh man mother fox <laughs> talk about showstoppers talk about you know it was almost poetic in the sense that a few weeks ago we discussed how yeah Adokar car isn't the bigger body but he offers you something else that bigger bodies can't offer you and it's absolutely electric speed and some people like to say oh yeah but he's only fast it's like oh, okay manu Vadavai was only big like what are we talking about here? That, that like It's a good thing. Um, Adokar, his tournament has been absolutely electric. I think it's been one for the ages for a winger. Um, maybe, you know, Val Holmes' last one, last World Cup, you could say he was as good as. I just think that Adokar, the things that he did this World Cup, the excitement that he brought, if you could put in the dictionary like classical winger, it would be Addo Carr's uh, World Cup series because even like to break the game open the way he did, give the ball to Teddy. He's go- like, he's going for the record. He's going for the record of tries, but he he most likely would have gassed Zouli on the outside, but he gives it to Teddy the way he did. I just the Fox is a superstar. He, he's one of my favorite wingers of all time. He's right. In my opinion, he's right up there with Wendell for me. Wendell's probably still the GOAT, maybe. I don't know. I think he's one of the better wingers of all time, in, uh, Adokar, and I think he's proven it over and over again. Uh, thoughts on the big trelling mitt in Adokar?
1: Just to show on Adokar just how good his World Cup was, if you break down the numbers, during this World Cup, he averaged two tries per game. He averaged 184 metres per game, seven tackle breaks, and 2.5 line breaks per game. Now keep in mind, he only scored one try in the last two weeks as well, <laughs> but he set up a few. I mean, he set up that try for James Tedesco. He also set up one for Angus Crichton that you thought was going to be a try for all money that was knocked on at the last second. Can be as you said a few weeks ago, and I, I know it's hard to compare him and Wendell because they're such different wingers. Like they're not. It's almost like they played two different positions based on how differently they played the position. So it's impossible to compare these guys. But right, you said it a few weeks ago that he might be one of the greatest wingers of all time. I'm. I'm not sure how many wingers could have achieved what he's achieved at this World Cup. I know they don't give a player of the tournament or maybe they'll do it and they'll do it over the next few weeks knowing how it's all played out. But could you possibly argue that anyone was better than him at this World Cup?
2: Mm. I thought he was hands hands down the best player at the World Cup and I cannot believe I'm saying that about a winger because I never thought I would. But the difference between what Fox did to any other winger is that he did half his mad shit through the middle of the field. And he yeah. was like, he came in looking for it. And it was doing like a fullback's work, essentially, and getting in involved and setting up tries and, and carving them through the guts. So it's like, he it was more than a, just a... He, he didn't just score his tries on the end of a back line and diving over. Like, he did... Nearly every one of his tries were unbelievable. around the field a few times. I think I he think was definitely the player of the World Cup. And considering Australia didn't play earlier in the year... Pretty unlucky for Golden Boot.
1: And, like, you have a look at that try that he scored against New Zealand, which I personally think we were reasonably lucky to get away with a Mm. win in that game. Is there any other winger in the history of rugby league that would have scored that try of catching that Ben
2: Hunt bomb on the full at top pace to get there? Like, that was incredible. (laughs) Not only that he pulled it off, but nearly every winger I've ever seen sees that kick go up and it becomes a defensive play and they go, oh, I will wait and hold back just a touch. And whack Jordy Rapana, Rapana as he catches do the right thing, what the coach probably wants. To get, he's just gone nut. Nah. Just back himself to fly onto it and take it and score one of the more important tries of his career.
1: And you could tell that Jordan Rapana was going, oh well, fuck it, he won't catch it. Yeah. He'll just deal with it once it bounces. Then he just took it on the full. It was unbelievable.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it just he's had an incredible series. And what's crazy is we're not even talking about his best try. Matty Burton threw the legs back oh. inside, kicks it on his bad foot, so he should be grubbing it out, it somehow stays in and, and the bulla fox gets there. Incredible stuff from Josh Adokar and I think, you know, like I know it's a long time away and, and all that kind of stuff, but as as we viewed on the social media, the energy that he was bringing on the field, the energy that he was bringing, like, you know, the, 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 the Aussies are, we'll get into this now actually, like there was talk about, oh, the Aussies aren't as passionate. The Aussies aren't as passionate as Samoa and it's like, they're different cultures that show, show express themselves differently but you you watch fox run out there you telling me he's not as passionate as any player in the whole world cup come on now come on now so um i think that like what what i what i do love really loved about the australians performances like really loved was as i said there was a lot of chat about like because Australia are the big, side, big dog side, everyone was behind Samara and Australia doesn't have the same passion and, and they don't care about it as much and Aussies are uh, this, that, and the next thing. I thought they represented us Aussies perfectly because they made errors, especially in that second half, they completed 50%. But what do Aussies do? We're battlers in defence. We battle all day. We take care of the things that are the tough things. That's, what's, that's what being Australia is about is being there for your mate. Always, always Whenever your mate needs you, you turn up. Every time there was a break, how many green and gold jersey did you see streaming across? In normal games, there would have been three or four line breaks by Samoa and potentially a try. First one, I think it was Harry Grant comes flying across and jams uh, maybe Palome over the edge. The second one, Tedesco times it perfectly, stays back, sees the line break, tracks Jerome Luai and, and waits waits for the perfect time to hit Luai as he gets the ball and jams him over the sideline. I thought that, you know, as I, as everyone knows this in this podcast, I have such admiration for the Samoan side, the passion they showed or whatever. But I think Australia was just as passionate and showed what Australia was all about. And that's being there for your mates and never, never backing down, especially in defence. I thought Australia were... It was their best defensive effort by a mile, and they represented our country. Couldn't be more proud of the way they represented it. it.
1: Yeah, I agree, mate, and I I know we've already spoken, man, but I I thought Liam Martin, he just personified that this entire World Cup. You mentioned too Josh Adokar, like on the field and off the field. Mate, I've spent the last six weeks watching every bit of content that's coming out of the Kangaroos Hotel, waiting for Josh to jump out of a fucking cupboard, watch him jump out (laughs) from around a corner, jump in from a window. It has been unreal. And you, you were really heavy on it, to your credit, Kempy, d- during the Origin series that Fox is one of those guys that even if there's another guy that you can select that might be as good or better during the game, it's the energy that he brings during the week and all that sort of stuff. And, fuck, if it's not evident how important he was throughout that six weeks over in England, <laughs> I don't know what, what more to say.
0: Yeah. it's He has – again, I know it's a while away, but – Put him in in permanent marker. He's on the sting. He's on the pick and swing for New South Wales. And as we've discussed, that is no knock on the absolutely incredible wingers New South Wales have to select from. But he's got to be one of your first picked. He's mm-hmm. got to be one of your first picked. Um, in, thoughts, Timmy, in regards to you know, I guess there was a bit of chat about Australia not being as passionate. Rara, were you as proud as I was in regards to the way they? carried themselves as you know what australia is all about
2: oh of course mate and it's you know it's they're they're the big dogs of the tournament they're, they're always going to get going in as pretty heavy favorites a lot of criticisms in just about every single different area that you can but um you know they, they might not they might not be as, as vocal as some other nations and in di- celebrating what look as passionate ways but they wanted to win that tournament just as much as anyone else out there and You know, while on-field they probably weren't, as we spoke about, as clinical as we'd hoped they'd be, they were so professional in just every asset, every every little nook and cranny of their footy was so professional on and off the field. Um, It was a tight semi-final, but I thought we got through the tournament pretty comfortably. Uh, And just on Fox, I think it's so exciting... Now that a new element to his game has cropped up of playing in through the rack, I can't wait to see what Cameron Schrader gets out of him because we've seen him dominate on the wing for many years and he'll continue to do so. But I think we're going to see a new part of his game off the back of the success of the World Cup.
0: Yeah, agreed. And to be honest, like if I'm more convinced that he probably could be a captain, whereas before I was like, oh, I want him to be the rogue. I want him to be that. But I, I kind of feel like how could you not pick him now after the yeah. impact he's had on the, you know, is there a way to like, so he doesn't have to deal with all the bullshit press conferences or whatever. Is there a way to like, just keep him happy all the time? I don't know, but um, yeah, just amazing. Let's talk about big Trelly mid. <laughs> <Bruh>. <laughs> how many times does he have to do it? How many times does he have to just go, I'm going beast mode and flipping a game on its head through pure, and, and and it was almost poetic, like Suwaili the game's next big superstar—big, tall, strong, absolutely skiddling blokes all tournament. And Big Charlie Mitt goes, "Look, you are the game's next superstar, but I'm OG, baby. I'm the OG <laughs> at 25 years old. At 25 years old, see, Charlie Mitt's almost like I've been there, but I'm still the big dog around here, baby." Big bump off, Sue goes down, try time, and then Trelly Mitt getting up just doing these ones, like, oh my God, I went off in my room. I just it's it's bizarre because Trell Mitt, in my opinion, Latrell Mitchell, is one of the greatest centers of all time, period, by none. Mm-hmm. By none. Like he's up there with English for me. Like if if I had to select English versus put it this way, if there was a game that said English versus Latrell. I don't know who would get the upper hand. That's how good he is as a center. Like if you go back and look at some of the stuff he has done at center, it is just absolutely phenomenal. Like he turns game on his head and we often like Greg Inglis, obviously right now for me, he's still the greatest outside back of all time. I think he's the greatest outside back, not fullback specifically or whatever. Uh, To be honest, he might be one of the greatest players in regards to he could literally play any position. But I just think that, because Latrell Mitchell is, is a bit more polarizing or whatever, he still probably maybe doesn't get put in that conversation. But I, I think the jury is out. I, I I would back Latrell Mitchell against any center that's ever played the game. Maybe not to win, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be betting against him, that's for sure. Am I going crazy here, Guru? What do you reckon? No,
1: I don't think so, mate. And I, I actually, you know, I agree. I think Latrell Mitchell is the best center in the world right now, hands down. I don't think there's any question about that. And I don't think... I don't think there's an opposing centre anywhere in the world that's a big enough challenge for Luttrell. I, I would love to put him one-on-one, as you said, with G.I. And I, I know people get upset when you compare G.I. to Luttrell, but when I do it, I'm complimenting Luttrell. It's not, it's not in a negative fashion at all. And similar to G.I., Luttrell just sits there and goes, mate, talk shit all you want about me when the bright lights are on. I'm going to fuck everyone up. And once again, <laughs> yeah. he stands and he delivers in another big moment. And it makes you realise once again, you know, he's 25 doing these things. When he was doing these things in a grand final four years ago, three years ago, he was a 20-year-old. And, you know, as I said, like, there isn't a challenge out there that's big enough for Latrell at centre, so I'd love to bring GI back. In my opinion, when, when Luttrell was doing those things, probably the biggest challenge in our game as far as the centre went was, was Will Chambers, and I love Will Chambers. Luttrell made him look fucking silly for those two years. Like, it is just yeah. – it's incredible what this guy is capable of doing. Throw on top of that, he, like, he, he pretty much didn't have a full preseason this year. He then had the injury through the middle of the year. He pissed off to America for a few months. Like, it's been it's been the complete opposite of the sort of stable year you'd like to see Luttrell have. If he can have a full season next year where he gets a full preseason, he's ready and raring to go. Like, he, he, you think about it the next World Cup, he's going to be 28. He might be at his prime maybe
0: then. It's just, it's insane. The only center that's that's ever really—I mean, Jimmy Roberts had a good battle one-off with him, but probably Joey Manu is the yep. only one in the centers that I would say. But I would still, I would still go Latrell at center over Joey Manu. Um, in, but like, I still think Latrell has done more so far in the game in regards to these huge, huge moments. That may be a bit unfair because you could say, well, Joe Marnie hasn't had the opportunity to play Origins, so of course you're going to say that. But Latrell Mitchell, for me, as I said, he is just absolutely amazing. And I just – it is time after time. Like every time you think, oh, this might be the tournament where Latrell Mitchell doesn't absolutely explode. He'll have a bit of a quiet one. Every All the people that don't like Latrell are going to come out and put shit on him, as they always do. And then every time he just goes, nah. No, nah, I'm when I want to turn the game on its head and people like the thing is, is it's one thing to play a good game because you're just constantly always trying to play a good game. It's another thing to choose when you want to turn the game on its head. He chooses. He chooses. It's it's like when I if I ever played a good game, obviously, I'm not fucking the mature. It wasn't a choice. It was almost luck to a degree. Like I certain things happened and then I got the, the bounce of the ball. But Troll Mitchell literally goes, I'm, the game is in the balance. I'm going to do something incredible. And he does something incredible. Um, thoughts on, on Trolly Mitt, uh, Timmy?
2: Yeah, I think he, in that sort of 2021 Origin series, was like a, probably a coming of age where he got to the point where he went for the first time, all right, and he did, he'd achieved a lot prior to that series, but that he went, I'm not just like as good as these big stars in the game he goes. I'm better than them. And when I want to be, I can do whatever I want on this, this footy field. And we've been void of big games for Luttrell since that point because he missed the final series in 2021 through suspension. He then missed the origin series this year through injury. A couple of big finals games for the Bunnies this year, yes. But I just wanted to see him since that 2021 origin. Once you I was like, I am, you know, when I want to be, could be the best player in the world. And in this World Cup final... This was the big stage to do it. And he was just, like, toying with them. When he wanted to score, it was like, get out of my way. Like, you're not stopping me. And it was, geez, it was good to watch.
1: And, mate, it almost had that feel throughout the whole World Cup. People have said, Mm. oh, he's been quiet. The bloke outside him almost broke the record for most (laughs) tries in the World Cup. Do you not think that has anything to do with the force that's inside him? Even if he doesn't touch the ball, just, like, you just know that defense is no fuck. We have to two-man Luttrell. I'll take a punt on Fox. Maybe we'll manage to get him, but we have to two-man Luttrell.
0: But think about it as well as not only was his winger essentially breaking records for try scored, he also did amazing things. Usually, when the winger has a try scoring record or equals it, the center is relatively quiet on individual stats. Latrell Mitchell not only set Adakar up a fair amount of times with some beautifully timed ball playing. But he also had huge moments himself, like massive moments. I mean, the semi-final, he saved at least two tries with incredible defense. It's another part of his game as well that just doesn't get rated. His tackle efficiency for the World Cup, I think it's around 96 to 97%. At center. At center. Like, this is a guy that didn't play center all year. This is how talented this guy is. It is fucking, it's just such a pleasure to watch him play. And him and Fox, like, what an iconic duo. Like, he, they're the two the guys that, when I have kids, when I have a young Beak or a young beak running around, <laughs> I'll be telling them about Fox and Addo Car. Like, oh, back in my day, you should have seen Bulla Fox, Chelly Mitt down the sideline. These young kids now playing, they got nothing on Fox and, and Chelly Mitt playing for <laughs> Australia. Um Absolutely pleasure to watch. Pleasure to watch.
1: I think for me, can be still my favourite moment of this entire World Cup when it comes to Latrell, was when they played Lebanon and it was early in the game and the young centre Brad Morkus just make a one-on-one tackle and Latrell was pissed off. And, he, and from that moment on, Josh Adokar scored a try every two or three minutes. He scored a try himself. Like... It just shows the competitive nature. He's playing Lebanon. He knows he's the best player on the field by far and away. Someone makes a one-on-one. Someone does their job. That's it. Someone does their job, and you can tell how much it pissed him off. I love that about him.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, even um, even even the game, the, the the World Cup final, he was close to, like, if, if uh, Swilly doesn't come and slide across and hit him with his hips, which is fine. i got no issue with that. You've got to try and stop a tackle. He would have scored another try purely off a hit up yep. through front, like through forwards. Mm. Again, that's just him going, Oh boys, do you need something? Okay, you need something? You need to win a World Cup? Okay, sweet. I'll just uh I'll take care of that for you. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Um, yeah. So what a another quick shout-out I want to give is uh, I mean, the thing is Australia is I feel like individually they all played incredibly. The only thing that was missing was a bit of cohesiveness and obviously that errors in the second half. But I want to give a big shout-out to RCG. Because, like, what's the one thing that, you know, when you're playing Samoa, what's the one thing we all talk about? Fucking big boys, big, aggressive boys. They're going to fucking dominate you in the middle, rah, rah. RCG took it off the back fence every time he ran the ball, did not take a backward step, and in my opinion, won nearly every contact he was in. Uh, that's, like, to take it to a, a Samoan forward pack with Paulo Papali'i, uh, Fuck, it's a brave, brave man. And RCG did that without hesitation. Uh, Cam Murray was incredible. I thought Paddy Carrigan had some great impact. Tino, for the small minutes he got, was super impactful. Nearly had 10 meters per run. Um, yeah, what, what an incredible performance. Just uh, quickly on the... So we talk about the 40-20. Really tough call against Samoa, for sure. Um, you know, it, it was a definitely a crucial part of the game do I think it would have changed the outcome? No, I don't think so. Do I think also there were a few head highs on Australia that probably got let go at least one or two? I think so. So obviously as a Samoan fan, I think you probably will be really pissed at the forty twenty not uh, as the incorrect call. But in my opinion, I, I really felt there were calls that we probably could have got. Like for example, Tedesco, I don't feel he knocked that ball on when we we're attacking the line. Um, th- th- so there were, I believe personally, there were calls that could have gone either way that, um, I don't think the reffing was that bad. I've seen a lot of people talk about the reffing. I, I personally don't think. I, the, the call was wrong, and Samoa absolutely should have got that 40-20, but I do think that probably evened itself out over the game. Um, thoughts on that, Guru?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, mate. I, I like Samoa. They obviously sh- should have got the ball in that play, and it fair. It would, have got, it would have made the game more interesting, I think. I think it would have been really good to see Samoa really put on some pressure early, but uh, uh, for me, there's no doubting that the better team won. So I, I understand people being upset on that play, but, I mean, it, it is what it is. There was obviously a lot of talk about uh, the Angus Crichton situation too. I, I personally yeah, thought the referees got it right. I, I don't know how much more could have been done on that play, to be honest with you. Like,
0: well, th- th- I was going to get to that. With the, the Angus Crichton one, what, why are we so quick to be talking about send-offs? Mm. Like, what? you set have to kill a bloke to get sent mm. off. Like, I understand that, you know, Chanel Harris-DeVita... <laughs> He is no longer in the game. But if we start judging the harshness of penalties by whether the bloke can continue to play or not, it's going to be absolute carnage. Like they kept playing it in slow-mo. Of course, in slow-mo, it's going to look bad because we're all sitting here thinking, Holy shit, he had about 10 seconds to decide whether to put his elbow up or not. That that's the way, like, I think 10 minutes in the bin was fair. I think the two-week suspension, I'm okay. I guess I probably would have done a week, but whatever. When you watch it in fast motion, it's a, just a straight reaction because you think that you're going to get tackled. Like, there's no malice in it whatsoever. There's no intention to hit him in the face. I, I thought the the calls for standoff, in my opinion, were outrageous if I'm being serious. Like, standoffs used to be like fucking Adrian Morley off the fucking back fence, like killing blokes. Now, all of a sudden, raising a quick elbow and it just unfortunately landing right flush on a chin. Put it this way, if that lands like Higher up or whatever, I, like I don't, I don't think it's as dramatic. So I, I agree with you, girl. I think ten minutes was fine. It absolutely, I believe it absolutely was ten in the bin for sure. But like send off, like far out. Uh, Timmy, what do you think about the the Angus Crichton situation?
2: Yeah, ten minutes for sure, mate. It was like. It would have been very controversial had he been given nothing, particularly as a result of what happened to, to CHT, which is a very. It was a shame to see him go out of the game in that manner, of course. But a send-off would have been so over the top. It was it was a dead ball. CHT was going towards Crichton. Crichton sort of put his elbow up to defend himself. Um, you nailed it there, Kempy. with the word intent. Was there any intent in it? Anything malicious? Not at all. He went to defend himself. You know, the slower the replay he got, um, the uglier it looked. But you know you, you still it's a, an enormous impact to lose a player in for 10 minutes in a game i think people underappreciate that at times and occasionally we see you know during that period the other team score or the team who lose the player score and you think oh you know it should have been a worse should have been a send-off but 10 minutes without a key player is enormous so i think they absolutely got that one right
0: yeah so um <coughs> Uh, yeah, just, just some of the, I don't know, some of the calls over the World Cup interview, some of the camera work. Wait, bro, I don't want to look at Malmaninger's face while there's footy on. <laughs> put it back to the footy. Like, fuck me. And like, I'm looking at Matt Parish for fucking 20 minutes while there's a game on. Like, bruh, put it onto the footy. Something could happen. I don't want to watch to replay. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, seriously, it was driving me mad. Like, look, I love to look at the coaches. Who wants to look at the coaches? Like, what the fuck? uh, Here we have a coach doing nothing. Meanwhile, there's a World Cup game on. There's a fucking World Cup game on. What the fuck's going on? Jesus. Made me so mad. Sorry, boys. Had to get that
2: out. I enjoyed it, mate. I really did.
0: Oh, man. Um, Now, let's talk about Samoa. Hey, can can I just
1: say one thing before we do move on? Sorry to interrupt you. I I think with this kangaroo side now, as we said, I think it was 13 debutants in this squad, right? And you look at a guy like Cleary, you look at a guy like Latrell, who it's their first time that they've really been part of like an extended camp with the Kangaroos. Like you, it, 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 even if you have a look at Luttrell in his career, he's played four test matches before this game that were sort of sporadic games here and there. He's never been in a an extended form with these sort of guys. And I, I think it'll be very interesting to see when these guys go back to club land, the improvement you see. I mean, you have a look at um, Darren Lockyer, he won his first. He, he played his first game for the Kangaroos in ninety seven, ninety eight. The Broncos win. Freddie goes on his first Kangaroo tour in 1990, 91, The year after the the Panthers win their first Grand Final. Joey ninety five with the Kangaroos of that World Cup. Shock me. Newcastle win mm. two years later. Cameron Smith plays his first Test match two thousand six. Melbourne. Cameron Smith wins his first Grand Final two thousand and seven. Like. The opportunity for some of these young guys, and especially, and some of these guys aren't even that young because of COVID, to be playing in their first test matches and have their first experience of being around 30 other elite players for five and six weeks and just picking up things here and there about their preparation and all that sort of stuff. There's going to be some players that it's going to pay huge dividends for over the next couple of years in the NRL.
0: Oh, mate, just to piggyback on that as well, the scary thing is for the rest of the comp, which team players absolutely fucking killed it, Penrith?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Like, oh god, watching it going, oh god. Stephen cried, incredible for uh, Lua, incredible. Taylan May, I thought he was outstanding for Samoa in the finals. Brian To'o, Cleary, Isaiah, Yo, Liam Martin. Oh geez. shit!
1: <laughs> and this is where, <laughs> mate. Like, I sit here and I look at this Panthers team and I go, they're losing Appy, they're losing Kickow. Fuck! How are they going to replace these guys? But then, you know, off the back of this World Cup, it could be the time where Cleary goes to another uh-huh. level, Isaiah mm-hmm. Yo goes to another level. Like, you know, you, you you just named all the um all the boys for the Kangaroos. Like, you got your Brian Tottos, your, your Stephen. Like, what Stephen Crichton did at this fucking World Cup is unbelievable. He's going to come back more confident than ever. He's going to go oh, fuck! Mate. I matched it with some of the best teams in the world, in a team that people didn't have in our top five in the cup. Like, they're going to come back with so much confidence, Penrith, and it might just be that the experience from this World Cup puts Isaiah Yo and Nathan Cleary to a level where they're ready to take over completely, take control of this team now that Appy isn't there, which is a scary prospect, mate.
0: Oh, mate. We talked about Latrell being a big game, big moments player. Stephen Crichton has announced himself on the world (laughs) stage as, like, I am a huge game player. I mean, even in the grand final, to read that play from Benny Hunt, to risk you getting pulled up... Like, if Benny Hunt dummies there, it's most likely a line break. And then Stephen Crichton goes, just like Latrell on the other side. Oh, I need to... And it's a bit different. Like, Latrell uses his brute fucking strength mm. to change games around. Whereas Steve Crichton just goes, "Oh, uh, we've got a little play here. Boom, boom, boom. Intercept, try two games in a row. I think he's also... The first player since Brett Kenny, I think it was random sats guy that brought this up, to score a try in three finals in a row. So yeah, yeah. three grand finals in a row, yeah. Um, like Stephen Crichton, as I said in regards to uh, to River, Penrith must be sitting there going, fuck me, please, like stop. You're, t- you're putting yourself in the like 800 to 900K <laughs> category. Honestly, maybe even a million dollars if the club is desperate for a fullback. Um, I probably would still hesitate at that, but I, I wouldn't – put it this way. If I needed a fullback, I probably wouldn't hesitate at around 750 to 800 for Crichton right now. I really wouldn't. And someone made a really good point. Like, I, I said, like, I, I compared him to Israel Folau and, and the guy in the comment section was kind of like, well, ha, how can you say he's not better than Israel Folau at this age when you consider the fact he's won back-to-back premierships, you know, now he's playing really well for Samoa. I, I still think that Israel at this age was better. But it made me say back and go, you know what? It's probably not as an outrageous. It's, a, it's quite a reasonable comment. The only real difference is, is that um, Israel had quite a lot of impact in origin as like an 18, 19-year-old, uh, whereas Crichton, I think, it's like 21, 22. But that's how this guy's playing, where you can compare him to one of our best athletes we've seen come through, best footy players. And although I still think Israel was further along in his career at this point, It's not a crazy comparison. That's how good Stephen Crichton has been. Even some of his defence on the weekend, just chopping blokes. Like some of his reads were incredible. Um, Let's talk about Samoa then. Thoughts on on Stephen Crichton, boys?
1: Yeah, and mate, just on that stat you brought up about Brett Kenny. Brett Kenny did that when he was pretty young. He was 21, 22, 23. Critter's done it when he's 20, 21, and 22. Not to mention the first grand final he scored was at left centre. The second grand final he scored was right wing. The third grand final he scored was right centre. He's done it in three different oh, positions, yeah. which is just mm. uh, and none of them might be his best position, which is the scra- craziest thing about him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timmy, thoughts on the the Stephen Crichton comment? Yeah. hitting rugby league,
2: unbelievable. He's just his ability to pull a big moment out in big games is becoming quite freakish, uh, and to see him lift again for this tournament for Samoa has been really special to watch. I, I'll be honest, I, I'm not as far along on the hype train as you boys and and that's with no it's not a s probably a critique to Crichton because i think what he's done at this age is incredible but and and i found so pessimistic saying this because he's a freak but when we're talking these big like eight nine hundred million dollar players i do think he's playing center for one of the more dominant teams we've seen in rugby league in particularly in nrl history um you know, there was the origin stage this year where I think he struggled at. Um, he'll be fine. Like, he's a young bloke. He'll learn from that. He'll obtain a lot from the World Cup. Uh, and he'll bounce back. And he absolutely could get to that point later on in his career. At this stage, um, it, like, even the Izzy Flower comparisons, I, I don't have them very close right now. Again, that's not a knock on Crichton. that's Izzy Folau is an absolute freak. Like, a once-in-generation a generation just about. So um, I can't wait to see what Stephen Crichton does from this campaign because he took a Samoa side that was not expected to go this deep into the tournament and off the back of a lot of big plays, he, he helped take them to a, a Rugby League World Cup final and they're first to do it. So um, very impressed, but I can't wait to see how he returns to the NRL level and, you know, give, given the opportunity, the Origin level in particular.
1: Spoken like a true Canberra about a Penrith Panther there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I, I, I agree in regards to um, your sentiment, Timmy, in, in, in regards to, like, Israel Folau is better at this stage. I just think that if you said that at the start of the year, I think everyone would have gone, bro, come on, bro, come on. But I I don't think it's as unreasonable as initially when it first hits you of like, oh, well, you know, these two two players are similar and, you know, Crichton. Like if someone has that opinion, I'm not going to sit there and go, mate, you are off your head. Mm. I will also say that the times that I have seen him play fullback, He's been outstanding, absolutely outstanding. I think as well, like the, some of the biggest big moments he's had in big games, not including Origin. Like Origin, obviously, I know he struggled and he or whatever. But if you outside of that, he's had so many big moments. I, as I said, I would still have him around the seven fifty to eight hundred mark if you were going to play him at fullback. So, like if I if I was a club that needed a fullback, like. Whatever club needs a fullback, like for example, let's say Ponga is going to be at six, I would consider if they had the money to pay him seven fifty to come play fullback for for the Newi Knights. Um, but I agree with your sentiment in regards to Israel is still, in my opinion, um, further along at this age. I just I just got a repeat in my head that remember that I think it was in his debut series. Apologies for talking about Origin again. The catch he did and he put it like put it over his head with one hand to oh. score Israel Allaire. probably the greatest foot put down of all time, probably the greatest put down of all time. Um, So I'm so excited to see Stephen Crichton's uh, development because, you know, what's he 22 right now? It's just, where does he play? Where does he play? I don't know. Like, is he going to be happy to be sitting in center for the rest of his career or at least for another five years, maybe he will be. Um, Oh, I'd like to see him at fullback. Get, get a full season, a fullback, I'd, I'd love to see what he'd go. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying replace Dylan Edwards, but I think his tournament's been incredible. I think that he's on the path to really developing into a, a, a genuine superstar. Like, put it this way, like, would you say would you say he's a superstar? I, I probably wouldn't put him in the superstar category yet, but I think he has superstar in him. What, what do you reckon about that, boys? Uh,
1: I don't know. Like, on moments, I don't know how you could call him anything else but a superstar. For a guy to do have the moments that he's had in a short amount of time, I, I think it's hard not to put him in the superstar category. But when you talk about him, you know, obviously just week to week, it's very hard as a centre, as a winger, when you're playing so many different positions to put yourself into that category. But, like, n- n- name a guy at 22 that's had more big moments than Stephen Crichton. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I understand where you're coming from too when you said, oh, you know, he, he's in the best side in the comp. Melbourne in 07 and 08 was a pretty handy team as well. Went to two grand finals, were over the cap. Like, uh, like, I think they're. I, I understand where you're coming from, but I, I do think the gap between Crichton and um, Israel Flower, I, I really don't think there is a huge gap there, to be honest with you. And I understand the origin stuff, but was he used properly? Did anyone agree with him being picked on the fucking bench? Mm. Like, I just don't think he's been given the right opportunity yet in that origin arena. I mean, I, and I know that we're we're growing up in a time where people want to hold any negatives they can against you. The reality is, every other big stage he's been on. He's dominated.
2: Yeah. And that's it, mate. And he, he, I don't think he's a superstar yet. I think the ability is definitely there for him to become a superstar. Whether he can do that at centre, well, he probably can. I mean, look, the bloke's won two grand finals already, but superstar moment, he's littered with them at his age, which is incredible. I mean, but like, if we're getting critical about a superstar, I know the game was done and won, dead and buried, but in the last couple of minutes, when the trail scored his try, he also shot off the line and opened up that big gap for the trail to walk through. So if we're being critical and that's what we do on this podcast, I feel, still think there are some areas he's gained game that he needs to leave before becoming a superstar.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree in regards to, I, I don't think he's a superstar yet, but I absolutely believe that there is a good probability by the time he is 25, 26, he has become like one of the game's most electric mm. superstar Ooh, players. Yeah. Um, and, and and just to be clear, like in regards to superstar, I, I like there's not many superstars in the game. It's not like every team has a superstar in it. We're talking your Clearys, your Latrells, your monsters. you know what I mean. That's that's the kind of level of superstar I'm talking mm. that I think he has the potential to become. But you're totally right. Like like he's still developing as a player. Um, I, I would I, I would agree with you in regards to I don't think the gap between him and Izzy is as big as people may think. But I do think that Izzy is clearly um, better at this stage. But it's, it's a good conversation. To have. And again, this conversation all comes from how impressed we are with Crichton. It's not negative at all. We're talking about this kid is great. Like yeah, definitely. The big, the big moments this kid has had is outrageous. Outrageous. Like, if you, if you only had the grand final intercept, that would be remembered forever. Like, in 20 years' time, there will be Penrith fans walking up to him going, Bro, when you caught that ball, I was doing X, X, X or Y or whatever. He's had like fucking three or four of them <laughs> yeah. there. It's just – it's it's amazing. And, and I um, think
1: that's the beauty of him that the stuff he's doing isn't because he's the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. Like he's just got touch that other people don't have. Yeah. He's just able to produce moments which like that's not going to go away from him. So being 22 now, with the way careers are going at the moment, like we could still have 13 more years of Stephen Crichton. He could play till he's 35, yeah. which is – so think about what he's achieved at the moment. <laughs> Let's say he has one or two good more years in the next thirteen. That's an unbelievable career. And with the system he's in right now, if he stays there, like his ceiling is sky high.
2: Just the stuff he is. Yeah, I know he's been part of this team. He's won over eighty-five percent of his NRL games. Mm-hmm. Jesus, oh, fucking
1: hell. And I'm t- and the Crazy. reason why he's in that team is because in New South Wales Cup, where he impressed, he was playing fullback. And when he was, when he has time there, back-to-back weeks, uh, it's scary what he could do if he does get an opportunity at full fullback somewhere. And then
2: just to add to it, he's yeah. evidently a gun goal kicker as well. So add that into yeah. And just making Penrith that a little bit stronger as well, like, of course, they've got a gun backup goal kicker. Yeah. Crazy.
0: Yeah. Nah, just so good. Um, now, some of the Asamon boys, I, I thought Luai kept fighting all game. I thought he didn't look... Um, You know, I think a lot of people were hoping that Luai would go up against Australia and look completely out of place and look like a guy that, you know, oh, yeah, okay, he played good against England, but look, he went against Australia and he was completely out of his depth. I don't think he looked out of his depth at all. I think he was probably one of their most, uh, Samoa's most dangerous players with the ball. Um, I I actually like the score. Maybe it's because I was so nervous about winning. I don't know if the score like reflects how... How many moments that were like in the tipping balance where if Samoa just found a way to get a, a try when they were on Australia's line, then all of a sudden it becomes a bit of a tighter match. Uh, outside of that, I thought Junior Paolo and Papali'i were f- immense, absolutely <laughs> immense through the middle. They, they just came all day. Um, and, and, you know, to Samoa's credit, Australia's game plan was masterful. They said, oh, you got big forwards, do you? Okay, we'll cop the brunt of it for the you know the first couple of sets or whatever, but we're going to stay right in around that ruck because eventually those big boys are going to fatigue. We're going to we're going to keep hitting you with white, and keep hitting you with uh, Valentine Holmes. Speed through the ruck, make sure you get up, you get back off the ground. It was a perfect game from Australia because like a lot of times when teams may come up against a Samoa, they might try to avoid the forward pack because it's like fuck that, like we're going to get dominated physically. But I gotta give credit to Samoa. Like I think, you know, although the score was 30 to 10, it's not like they looked like they were completely out on their feet. And the game plan against them, against the best in the world, was pretty clinical. Pretty clinical. And I thought Paulo and Paolo and Papaliki really led that charge. Like they really led that charge. Um also Suali, a bit of a quiet second half, but I thought in the first half, like the fact that he can like we're talking about Australia here. The best in the world, the just absolute guns in the middle. He was still skiddling blokes up the middle and getting quick play the balls. Like it is scary to think. I mean, we talked about you know Crichton, what his potential is, Suwaili, and what his potential is is just it's it's literally anything. Like this bloke could be anything. <laughs> uh, I've got it trademarked. Watch
1: yourself. <laughs> yeah, sorry mate,
0: sorry. I'll, I'll get a letter from your lawyers soon. Um, if Suilii can really work on his ball playing, tell me his potential truly isn't like infinite in regards to his place in the game over a long period of time. I, I thought his World Cup, he started a little bit rusty. Maybe in defense, he needs a little bit of work, but that's going to come in time. But his impact on the games, every game that he played uh, for a, a 19-year-old is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Thoughts on uh, Suweli?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty evident. We're, li- we're like, we're scratching the surface of this kid. Like, to, to think about, like, if you imagine his Roosters preseasons at the moment, like, he's so young and he's not, he's their third choice fullback, so he's not getting many reps there. Like, he's literally just learning this position on the fly at a fucking World Cup in a team that he showed up for his first game. They got beat by 60. They got absolutely slapped around if you you know, if <laughs> name me another nineteen year old that his confidence wouldn't have been completely shattered off the back of that. Imagine him sitting there going, "I could have been playing on the wing for the kangaroos. Instead, I'm here getting beat by sixty for Samoa. And he just takes it all in, and I, I thought he was great in this World Cup. It's scary. I was saying it to Timmy and Maddie before, like when I look back at you know GI and Luttrell, I watch them in their early years now and I go, look how skinny they were back then. It's frightening to think that probably in a few years' time we're going to look back at Su Lee. And at the moment, I'm looking at him going, you're a fucking monster. But probably in a few years' time, once he really grows into his body, he's probably going to look super skinny now compared to what he's going to be, which is terrifying. Oh,
0: yeah. mate. When he gets that man strength, it's game over. Like, it's actually game over because, like, frame-wise, he's actually nearly his biggest pain Hass. Mm. Frame-wise, like, I know he's not going to be his biggest um, pain Hass because, like, it's just a thicker body. But when I, they rolled up on the dally, uh carpet and I turned around, I was like, I mean, I literally said on camera, I was like, holy shit, two large gentlemen. He's fucking <laughs> massive. Like, super good looking too. So handsome. Could he get any more handsome? God damn. I think every mum around the world is like, how handsome is that boy? Um, <laughs> but seriously, it took about like, if you ever wanted like the full package of a superstar, gun player, tough as any. Like, a lot of these young guns that come through, they like, flashy. So you've always got some part of the, the footy community that's like, oh, yeah, but he doesn't do the tough stuff. Not tough. Whereas, like, this guy does the toughest possible stuff you can do, looks like a bloody runway model, super professional, going to have a crazy career ahead of him. Like... them. <laughs> the amount of money he could he could potentially earn if he wants to from endorsements and that is going to be through the roof um what what about like the, think about the i guess the uh the symbol that Lee is for samoa and rugby league think about the impact he is going to have or has already had as a 19 year old picking samoa off the bat it is like i cannot like he's going to be there for the next 15 years maybe and the amount of young polynesian boys and girls that are going to say i want to go down that route too is absolutely incredible thoughts are timmy on Suoli.
2: yeah mate what a what a poster boy for whether it's the roosters or whoever and then samoa the international team for the next 15 years because he if he isn't already not quite there but he one day will be a superstar i'm convinced of it an absolute freak and like what a system to be in for him uh, in the position at the Roosters to play under James Tedesco, the Australian captain, one of the best fullbacks we've ever seen, Trent Robinson. It's a thing, Kempi, where I can't remember who we were speaking about earlier in the year, but telling him just to bide their time and wait on the wing. And I, I believe, I think it was someone other than Suoliti, but it might have been. He doesn't need to rush into the fullback role. He can play a handful of games over there at um, their at times for Samoa, for the Roosters over the next few seasons and just develop his game, fine-tune it. He doesn't need to be thrown in the deep end like he was at the World Cup at fullback. Develop that ball playing. Develop his positional play under James Tedesco. Uh, He's going to be unbelievable there in a few years' time.
0: Oh, mate, 19. He's 19 (laughs) years old, bro. And, like, he's not rolling into a Queensland side or an Australian side. Like, he rolled into a Samoan side, That was like not even in the top four to a lot of people, and some people thought wouldn't even make the bloody the quarters or definitely not the semis. And he's had this huge. I mean, it's it's um, what a story! Like, I would love to see a documentary potentially on like Tonga and Samoas. Like, if they added like it was like a series or whatever, started with Tonga's rise towards what they did, and then follow it on into Samoa's rise. Like, oh man, just amazing stuff! Like the impact such a small nation has had on rugby league has just been so good to be a part of like how much energy has that brought into rugby league and excitement that not only is it Tonga now that, you know, is really up there first class, but it's Samoa too. And all the island nations now, like the blueprint is there, boys, like the blueprint is there. you got to, if you can get together and get the players that you feel would, you know, want to represent their heritage or, you know, feel that stronger connection to the heritage rather than Australia. If you can get them across, who knows what could happen? Who who really knows what could happen? Um, <clears throat> anyone else stand out for you guys in the Samoan side?
1: Oh, I just wanted to say, Kemby, you know, you, you, you sort of touched on it before, but just with the Samoan side, like, I thought there was a number of times throughout this game. There's obviously like um, the 40-20 attempt that just didn't go their way. There was another moment there where it was 10-0 to the Kangaroos and Samoa were going to score for all money in the right corner and Josh Adokar came out with another big play, managed to slap it down. And it was right at a crucial moment in the game. It was 25th minute, Pat Carrigan comes on with Cam Murray. So the two of them come on the field. Josh odo knocks that ball down. As soon as that ball got knocked down, Mal Meninga said, let's get Harry Grant on the field. And they score three minutes later through Liam Martin. Like if Samoa would have scored in that moment and just stopped a bit of that momentum of Cam Murray and Harry Grant getting on the field... We, we, like we, we could have gone into halftime 10-6 and it's a completely different game of football. I know, I know it's all ifs and buts, but Samoa were not that far off putting it together on a number of occasions. You then got to consider they started this game with their third choice hooker, who also got knocked out. So their first choice halfback, who's a 5'8", had to go and play hooker. Mm. He's now their fourth choice hooker. They didn't carry another one in this game. Like They did have a few things go against them that I feel sorry for them uh, about, but, jeez, they were brave.
0: Oh mate, totally agree. And you have to remember, what well, it ended up being what five of their actual starters that didn't like. If you include Harris Tavita, yep, it's it's about five of their actual starters that, um, you know, so Josh Ally injured, Danny Levi gone, Farmeru Brown gone, um, Tango. one of the centers uh, Tango gone. Like, like put it this way, Australia have much better depth, but. Let's say we lost four or five of our starters. You know, a lot of Aussies would be sitting there going, oh, well, you know, we have reason to not be playing as well. Somehow, I got to a World Cup final. And and I agree with you, Guru. I feel like although the score was 30 to 10, and this isn't lip service either. Like I've got no reason to be like placate and be like, oh, it's all good or whatever. If you watch that game closely, there are absolutely like they're tiny moments but they're huge moments that swing everything and you're right the Addo Car situation I also think Mal Meninga it was a, a genius a master stroke of the selection of what he did like to bring on Paddy Carrigan Harry Grant and Cam Murray against a big forward pack in Paola uh, with Paolo Papali the Samoan four pack it's a master stroke how do you how do you keep up with that? How do you keep up? It's the only way you keep up with that is scoring a bloody try, and Ado Car saved that for us. Um, so I, I agree with you, man. Like I know a lot of people will focus on the score, but go back and watch that match. It was it wasn't as lopsided as some people think.
1: And Kenby, you just mentioned all the guys that got injured. I just want to throw in there as well. For example, Samoa—they only played one test during this year. They had one mid-season test. If you take the Kiwis, for example. Joey Manu got man of the match in their mid-season test. Imagine if you took Joey Manu out of the Kiwis team, how much they'd struggle. We've got to remember, Josh Schuster, he killed it for Samoa in that mid-season test. He was their man of the match in that game. He didn't go to the World Cup either.
0: Yeah. yep, yeah. And, I mean, there was even, I guess, and look, there's no confirmation on this, but there was even whispers that Payne Haas was considering. I don't, I don't like to say it. It, fucking, it brings a fucking tear to my eye, but... <laughs> Fuck, Payne, don't do it, baby. (laughs) Stay with Australia, please. Please stay with Australia. Um, No, I I respect anyone's decision, whoever they... To be honest, it's it's quite an ironic thing because it's like, I only want players playing for Australia that love Australia to death. Not to say that they don't love Australia, but love it so much that they cannot... Put it this way. I haven't bought any other soccer jerseys that are national teams because I'm not going to wear another nation's jersey. That's how much I love Australia. And so I want 17 other blokes or the squad loving Australia that much, you know, like that's, so it's like almost like, look, if, if you want to represent your heritage, like it's a win-win. Like we get a guy in there that wants to, that, that bleeds Australia and blah, blah, and you get to play for your heritage that you bleed and that you love. i like, uh, yeah, I, I never understood the people that, like, get upset at people that... Rah, rah. It's I mean, I get upset in a joking manner of, like, fuck, how good would it be to have Victor Radley, Payne Haas, to go, rah, rah. But at the end of the day, I want a bloke in that jersey that loves this more than anything.
1: And, and just to throw one other guy they didn't have that I, I haven't even thought of this entire World Cup. I keep saying they're on their fourth-choice hooker. Jaz Tavunga was their starting hooker in the mid-season test. He was another one that they couldn't choose either.
0: Fuck. It just... Every new bit of information we talk about when it comes to Samoa makes what they did even more incredible. Like every bit you bring up and you go, these are the the obstacles these blokes have overcome. Like if this happened to Samoa five years ago or six years ago or whenever the last World Cup is, they get tailed up and bounced. They don't even make the quarters. Matter of fact, did they even they only made the quarters last time because of some weird draw situation that happened? Yeah. They went in with like one win or something. What they have achieved and and the impact they've had. On the world in regards i know obviously not compared i'm just talking about rugby league and sport it's been incredible and the positive impact they've had for Samoans. like think about the happiness this team has brought hundreds of thousands of people that have been on cloud nine proud as anything all week long because of what their players have done it's just incredible amazing stuff
1: and the most the best thing about this whole thing is that the next world cup is only three years away Outside of Josh Papali, the oldest player in this squad, I think, is Junior Bowler. He's 29. He'll only be 32. So essentially, this entire squad is going to be available in three years' time. Yeah, I mean, and
0: the only other is probably Martin Tapao. Marty, yeah, sorry, yeah. But but like, you know, uh, very important player for sure. But like, is he, you know, like I'm sure they'll be able to find someone that can step up to the plate and, and kind of push into that position. Um, you know, Royce uh, Hunt was outstanding, I think, this this tournament as well. Uh, yeah, so some Samoa, like, uh, what I, what I you know, if you could... Obviously, the perfect ending as an Aussie would have been, like, we win 16-14, but, like, that's that's fairytale kind of stuff. I just think that regardless of the score, the way they har- carried themselves in that World Cup and the way the accounting they gave for themselves, it's almost a perfect ending from an Australian's perspective of, they went out with respect that they deserved and had earned. And there's very little people that can say that they looked like they weren't supposed to be in that World Cup final, you know. So, great stuff.
1: I'll tell you what else I loved, I'm I'm sure you would have seen it on social media. You know, the Kangaroos, they, they celebrated. They had a good time in their change room. Mm. Then I saw a live from the um, Samoan change room and Tino was sitting in there having a beer with the boys. Mm. Just unreal. Yeah. That's what the Rugby League World Cup's about. I, I just thought that was great.
0: Or well, I mean, in that post, like so, we put this result up. I put the result up, and one of the like it must have been a Samoan put up. Uh, if only the real Uso had the real Uso had come out of retirement, and it was a picture of Cam Smith in a Samoan jersey. <laughs> 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 uh, and that's like I will say, like I've um, the amount of Samoans as well that have just been like, um, all respect to Australia, just too good on the day. Congratulations, but you know. Awesome for Samoa too. Been a really respectful way um, that it's all happened. So it's just so good for the game. So good for the game. Um, and to be honest, like, I mean, we're not even talking about like Lebanon, like who were pretty good this this, this World Cup. You know, they fucking played some pretty good footy. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see the next World Cup. Hopefully Tonga gets more investment. Hopefully Samoa gets more investment. England will be back with a fury. They, I mean, oh, I tell you what. If there's a team that's going to be like stinging the most out of any team, in my opinion, it's going to be England for next World Cup. Like they are going to be angry.
1: I mean, and just having a look at this side as well, like if everything plays out perfectly for them over the next three years, they could be running out the next World Cup with Junior Bolo, Tino, and Payne Haas as their front row rotation.
0: (laughs) Ah, That's a scary prospect, a very scary prospect. Um, Guys, don't forget. Bloke soccer jerseys, Wednesday, 6 p.m. That is 6 p.m. New South Wales time, 5 p.m. Queensland time. Also, grab a case of bloke and a bar of beer. Beautiful, easy drinking beer. Uh, We've got a mid-strength. We've got a full-strength. We are in every Celebrations bottle IJ Plus liquor and Porters liquor in New South Wales and ACT. We've also got a store locator. We're in hundreds of stores across queensland new south wales act and victoria you just go to blokeinabar.com, you put in your postcode it'll show you the stoggers plus we've got plenty of merch you go to bloke.shop you can buy buy merch anytime now so that's at bloke.shop um, high quality stuff looks cool plus supports the platform guys if you enjoy all this content and you want to get a free sports network with your beer or a free beer with your sports network grab a case of bloke and a bar beer from your local it's aussie spirit in a can plus it's for blokes to turn up for their family mates and good time so turn up for a bloke beer now so we talked about um player of the tournament the golden boot joey manu wins golden boot now i want to check the tapes because i think i might have uh did i predict joey manu maybe i predicted him to get player of the tournament which is technically not golden boot but i'm gonna say it is um <laughs> thoughts on joey manu getting uh golden boot boys
1: Yeah, I thought it was great to see. uh, it's obvious. I I think that we we need to be clear with this uh, this award. Like, I remember when I was growing up, it was decorated as the best player in the world. That was always mine. It it obviously is now the best international player. And, uh, yeah, I think Manu throughout this entire year, uh, playing out of position, in position, whatever you want to call him playing fullback, I think that without him, the Kiwis, who who did they almost lose? Was it Fiji? Like, if he wasn't on the field... There's not a hope in hell New Zealand win that, in my opinion. So he was obviously man of the match, as I mentioned, during the mid-season test. uh, And I think that's what can make it hard about this award that, you know, for example, the Kangaroos, they didn't play a game during the season. I I saw a lot of people say Jerome Luai should have got it. I understand where you're coming from, but this is also another problem that I have with this award. And I'm not saying that that Joey Manu didn't deserve this award, but, for example, if you look at Jerome Luai, who had a sensational World Cup, He didn't get to play in their mid-season test because he was playing Origin. So it sort of once again takes him out of calculations for this. So it it, it is a bit of a tough award, but I I don't think it's a situation where the wrong guy won the award by any means. So congratulations to Joey Marno. A really good knock there.
2: Timmy? Yeah, Joey Marno, like such outstanding reward for an unbelievable year. He's had obviously NRL-wise, fell a little bit short with the Roosters, but what he did as a... (laughs) A position he hasn't played a lot of, fullback, for the Kiwis in, in that mid-year test and then across the World Cup. Uh, pretty, pretty special. Another one of these cases of just putting up such absurd numbers that because it's Joey Manu and he's been doing it all season and every time he play, particularly in a key position at 5-8 or fullback, you're like, yep, of course, big numbers, sweet. But here he you often start to take it for granted and Joey just does it each and every single game. Um, as you said, Gru, without taking any shine off the award, there's a few, like, criteria things that bug me a little bit and the fact that they award it before the biggest game of the year in the world cup final is ridiculous so. like it's who so. the hell made that decision would it have changed uh, the winner of the award maybe maybe not but outrageous if
1: josh at scores another five tries in that world yeah. cup final or, or something happens like that like i don't know how you couldn't I've given it to Fox. Like, oh, if Fox would have got it, I wouldn't have been shocked, to be honest with you. I thought he was the best player in this World Cup by a country mile. Manu obviously played one more test than him during the season, but I think it's crazy that before the biggest game of the international calendar,
2: we hand out the award. I'd love to know the logic behind it. Like, why did they do that? It's,
0: oh, it's Mate, crazy. Some of the decisions that get made around international footy, you go on, what is doing? Like... <laughs> The numbers, some of the camera work as we've been through. I know it's not that all comes from anyone, but like when you look at it as a whole, you are like, what? What is going on? Who is like overseeing all of this? And and what's bizarre is it like? It seems like such obvious answers. Like it seems like, hey, that doesn't that doesn't add up. Why would we give Golden Boot? So for players that play international footy, the game before the biggest game in international footy makes no like. How does no one in the office go, I got a question? That makes no sense. <laughs> like, how come no one says that? Like, oh, yeah. is it just one dude that's like, yeah, fuck it, we'll just do this. Like, oh, it's bizarre to me. Um, and it, again, to take nothing away from Joe Mana, like if Joey Marna gets it for sure, he deserves it. He, he I think he's in his mid season thing, he ran for like four hundred and eleven meters or some shit. Yeah. Um, and so I'm okay with him getting it, but it's just like it's like to put it before the World Cup, it's just bizarre. They Honestly, I don't understand it. But I'll
1: tell you what, we might have dodged one of the all time great bullets that no player managed to get injured the other day, by the way, on that field. That was unbelievable. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Mate, seriously. Like, you, you, see, you saw uh, when Crichton got that intercept. Like, you see him, he, I think he saw, was it uh, Benny Hunt or Munster, maybe? Munster? And he like veered away from into the corner and just put the ball down with his hand. If that's a normal try, he's literally diving across yeah. the line. But he, mm-hmm. you could tell he didn't want to fucking go into the fence. I mean, Teddy dived nearly before the line and went into the fence. Like anyway, <laughs> even um, that
1: slope, I can't believe no one. I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. The field's the size it is, but miracle we got away with that without any injuries.
0: Now, boys, I'm loath to talk about it because it's just such a bloody. It's a, it's a shit fight. It's a good old fashioned poo slinging shit fight. <laughs> Origin eligibility. Ugh, I didn't even want to wade into this because it's like I don't want to be robbed of these incredible World Cup situations, but also I'm a passionate Australian and Queenslander. I don't know what the answer is, Guru. Do you have the answers, Timmy? Guru, you have the answers or what?
1: I've got no idea what to do with this. I, uh, it's just. Uh, I'm, I'm starting, and you know, I, I was the complete opposite a few years ago, months ago, whatever But I'm starting to think you just make it free for all If you played in New South Wales or in Queensland before you were 13, 14 We can argue over that, maybe you're just free to play Origin I, I honestly, I don't know how to do it, mate I mean, what what are we going to do? Are we going to tell all the small boys that can't play Origin next year now? After playing this year, it's just, it's <laughs> It's kind of like the NRL tried to make their bed and they made it very fucking poorly, and now they have to sleep in it. And it's mm. like j- just
2: blow the whole fucking thing up. I think.
0: Oh, Timmy, what are your thoughts, mate?
2: Yeah, look, I know it's, I know there's a lot of different elements that go into these decisions around the the, the nation national tiers for starters, but in the origin eligibility, I'm happy for them. You know, obviously, you get the exact rule and the exact criteria about um what allows you to play for you know your tier 1 nation and play for the blues or the maroons but say it is that you played for your state prior to 14 years old junior footy i'm happy for that to happen and then to go on and play um for both your nation and for your state because i don't see why you can't have an allegiance to both if you've grown up in new south wales and played junior footy there well you probably love new south wales Um, if you have a Samoan background, well, then you probably love Samoa as well. And I think that's fine. And uh, for me, I'm happy to see them play both.
0: Yeah. See, like I was in that camp. Initially I was in the camp of like, let's go even like, this is probably a year or two ago. Let's go even stricter. Like Queensland, New South Wales, like you're born, you have to be not born there, but like, let's go stricter. Like that's, that's how conservative I was on that situation. Then I came around to, like, you know what? I can understand, like, play for your state and your heritage. But Cam Smith brought up a good point. is like, it'd be a very strange world in 10 to 20 years or whatever. And as we can see, the Polynesian players, they're just getting better and better and better. Imagine an origin where there's four like four players that end up playing for Australia out of that origin series mm. or something like that. Because that's a, that's a real possibility. Like, they're getting so good and there's so many more being... Coming into the NRL. I think like if you include indigenous, I wouldn't I won't even include indigenous because obviously they're indigenous to Australia. I think they're at about like 40% or 45% of the NRL now, maybe even over 50% Polynesian players. And so that's the only like I, I was like disagreeing with Kim before that. But when he made that point, when he was like, there's a world where we watch Origin and most of the players don't play for Australia, as an Australian, that made me go, ooh. And, and again, I don't know whether that's just me being selfish or me being like um, too patriotic. I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just the old guy in the room that's like needs to get with the younger crowd that see things differently. I don't, I just, I don't know. That's why I just don't know where I stand on this. A, eh? like, I got no idea. I don't know what the right thing is because, like, all of a sudden, you know, you've got, uh, like, take, like, for example, Samoa beat England, but Victor Adley can't play for New South Wales again. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I mean, you look at it, it even, you know, and I, I know it's ridiculous that we were fourth ranked overall, but Daniel Toope who's able to play for New South Wales and then go and represent Tonga, who's ranked second overall in the <laughs> world. But Australia's ranked fourth and other, like it just, it, the whole thing just makes no sense. And mate, I kind of hate that you've said that, that Cam Smith said that, because once again, that's made me flip like a fucking fish once again. And I'm back to having no idea where I sit on this, but all Good. I know is that what we do at the moment makes no sense
0: guru it smashed me to smithereens when he said it i thought i had my like mind <laughs> made up and i was like you know the eligibility is good let the boys play rah rah and then he hit me with that and it just exploded inside i was like oh man as an aussie that is fucking pretty hectic it's pretty hectic and again for you know if there's people from um, you know other nations that listen like let's imagine i think they're provinces in tonga or some are. let's imagine there's a, a an Age-old rivalry between two provinces or states or whatever they are in, in Tonga, and basically you had a bunch of like Aussies that had moved over there, uh, you know, played in paid for one of the states or provinces, but then went back and played for Australia as a, Ta- a Tongan or a Samoan or whatever. I, I assume you would also be like, no, hang on a sec, that's a that's a part of Tonga. You're you are Tongan. You if you choose to be with Tonga, you, you know, blah blah. blah. So again, I, I honestly do not know what the answer is. I, I just don't. But like, what, what do you reckon, Timmy? Is that has that smashed you to smithereens like Smithy did to me, or you're still steadfast uh, in that? A
2: little bit, mate. But at the same time, let's say, let's say a player was uh, some with an Australian background was born in a province in Tonga, and then they grew up there their whole life, and then they got come of age at 18 19 years old and they got picked to play in that local rivalry well i think they can have allegiance to that province because they've been there their whole life and then they can go and play for australia because maybe their parents are australian and it, that wouldn't worry me i don't think As i said there's a lot there's a lot yeah. to it but it wouldn't worry me
0: but like the example i give is like would it worry Tongans or kiwis like if there was a north versus south island would the kiwis be like you know, we if you play for the North or the South Island mm. and you've committed to New Zealand as the North and the South Island, and then you go and play for Australia, would they be like, Well that's you know, that's unfair. Like not unfair, but like it's a part of New Zealand. You're a part of New Zealand now. I, I wonder whether that in the same situation it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I just because like as I, I, I agree with you in regards to I absolutely believe and a perfect example is, is your man, Papaliti. There was this whole bullshit yarn about, yeah, oh, the New, South, like, the New South Wales, Samoans, they're not passionate about um, New South Wales. They, they All they care about is some Absolute bullshit because, A, no one said shit when, uh, when New South Wales won by a record margin with those Samoan boys in it. No one said nothing about their heritage. They lose and all of a sudden it's because some of the Samoan boys weren't as passionate. Meanwhile, Josh Papali'i, I dare you to question his Queensland passion. Mm. I dare you. You're a fucking moron if you do. And so that argument, to me, I agree with you a hundred percent. You can. Are you telling me Victor Radley wouldn't come back and fucking rip and tear for New South Wales? Are you honestly saying that right now? It's a joke. It's ridiculous. So in that regards, I absolutely believe that you can be passionate about your heritage, but also be passionate about the state you play in. From the, it's just from the selfish Australian passionate about the Aussie Jersey <laughs> part that just stings me a little bit when I go, Oh man, could you imagine if like, we only had two players, but like four players playing origin. Uh, maybe that's hyperbolic. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'd be more, maybe we're falling uh, victim to the slippery slope fallacy where we think that, well, because there is X amount now, that means that there's going to be even more in the future. Maybe there's a good balance for the rest of time and we don't even have to worry about it. So I'm probably overthinking it. Um, Right now, if I had to, like, with the, the what I saw with the World Cup and with the potential of growth, if I had to make a choice, gun to the head, right now, I would probably say the current rules, uh, ditch the tier system, as in everyone's tier one, who gives a shit. Mm. Um, and if you've been in here since you played footy all the way up to your 13 or before you were 13 and then all the way through to first grade, I would probably say, let's do that. Um but, again, I'm not convinced. I don't
1: know. I'm but all was- for that until I see Jason Tamalolo in Maroon, then I go, fuck that.
2: Yeah, you know what, stuff it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> thanks. Oh, wouldn't, Would not would Sonny Bill be available for New South Wales if that had been the case? Yeah, he tried.
2: Yeah. To, he, Sonny Bill played New South Wales 18s or something, and there was yeah. talk around him trying to play in the early days. And
0: yeah.
1: Tamalolo moved to Townsville at age 13, so if we want to make it age 14 onwards
0: play all. all good, Campy. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, Tamalolo in a Queensland jersey next year, baby. Let's go. Get him in there. Us battlers, we never get the good players. Let's bloody go. Bloody Queenslanders, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, as I said, guys, like I think we all agree it's a very complicated situation. Much smarter minds than us will come up, hopefully, will come up with the right uh, decision because what the Polynesians have brought to this game is absolutely incredible. Like, look, it's a given. Like, what, like, what Australia has done for the game, it's fucking, it's in history books. Like, we don't need to talk about that. Everyone agrees that you know Australia has built rugby league up into what it is. But the the new energy that has been brought in by these islands and uh, you know Fiji, PNG, Tonga, Samoa, Cook Islands, all that, like that, I, I feel like that's such a space if we want to expand the game, there are millions of people in these areas that already love the game. And, and I, uh, so uh, the energy they've brought in has been incredible. Um, but as I said, as an Australian, what a week of footy. What a win. We're well, champs, baby. Stick that fucking fourth up your ass, baby. <laughs> Who made that decision, eh? I want to hear you come out and say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Whoever said Australia fourth, how about you come out and say, I don't know shit about rugby league. How about you do that, baby? Woo! Well, champs. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I had to get it out of my system. Four, give me a break. Give me a fucking break. Um, anyway, boys, uh, actually, for the listeners as well. Oh, quickly, Paul Gallon first Justin Hodges on bloody Wednesday, tomorrow night. Who have you got, boys, in the rematch? Gallon's last fight.
1: Yeah, I heard Hodges talking today that it's going to be a bit of a street fight. He was going he has been practicing a few uh, a few dog shots, I, I think he said—to uh, get some revenge on Gallons. Fucking uh, <laughs> in the most rugby league fashion it
2: possibly could be. Uh, I'll take Gal though, mate. I think he goes out a winner.
0: What do you reckon, Timmy?
2: Gal's going to have to slip over on the corner post and smack his head and, to <laughs> knock himself out before the fight to lose this one, mate. It'll kill him.
0: Oh, wow. Very strong chat from you gentlemen. Jesus. I was looking for some deep insight into the technicalities of boxing and you've just gone straight to <laughs> bloody knockout. Um, look, I, I think Gal gets the job done. I, I, look, I, Hodges obviously got some power, and but I think we have to remember last fight, he'd already fought... In, <laughs> he'd already fought... Hannah like and so I think Gal goes out a winner I also think Gal I think he's one of the toughest sportsmen Australia's ever produced period bar none one of the toughest what do you guys think you see one of the toughest all time or what
1: yeah, I think he has to be right up there. Uh, it's unfortunate the way that his career played out in the way that he was the face of that New South Wales team. Who came? He just came up against a side that you couldn't beat at the end of the day. Uh, I think Paul Gallon's career w- would be looked on uh, in a different fashion if he came along in just about any other fucking era mm. ever, essentially. Uh, but oh, I agree, mate. I think he's one of the toughest we've ever produced. Uh, I, I'll be the first to admit I know fuck all about boxing. But it just seems like he's had such a positive impact uh, on the sport in Australia, anyway. So, yeah, mate, I'd back it.
0: Um, all right. Uh, I think that's oh, also Tokiaho is fighting Lowe, I think, former NRL player.
2: Yeah, Jamin Lowe.
0: So, that, that's going to be really interesting. Plus, got some really good Aussie boxes on the, the, the pre, not the prelims, but on the cards, some like legit Aussie boxes. Um, so, make sure to check that out. That's no limit. That's Wednesday night. No limit. They put on the best cards in Australia. Seriously. If you haven't followed them on Instagram, give them a follow at No Limit. They are the best in the business in Australian boxing, in my opinion. Also, guys, we're probably going to take a couple of weeks break after this week, um, now that the World Cup is over. But we will be back before you know it with so much deep dive into rugby league chat. We're talking transfers, we're talking predictions, we're talking putting our foot in our mouth with some terrible predictions. We're talking about one or two that we get right, and then we hold on to it for the rest of the 2023 season. <laughs> um, so plenty of rugby league chat and sport chat coming your way. We're just going to take a week or two break, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, how good the World Cup. It's been great. What an incredible end to the season. Could you imagine if we didn't have the World Cup? How boring oh, it would be fuck that jesus um anything else boys
1: <laughs> no nah, mate all good all done and dusted trials cool. not that far away
2: now just quietly <laughs> Good <laughs> 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 uh,
0: what is it called? call something now it's like some kind of super cup or some pre-season
2: challenge yeah. he could oh, be the anything pre-season cup. challenge it's will be all over it.
0: <laughs> the peak of rugby league high quality footy no errors high completion um, but yeah Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to grab a case of bloke in a bar. Uh, Go to your local Celebrations, Bottle-O, IGA Plus Liquor or Porter's Liquor um, in New South Wales or ACT. Or we've got plenty of stores in Queensland. We've got a store locator on our website. Plus, soccer jerseys coming out 6 p.m. on Wednesday. Make sure to grab them. Limited supply, 6 p.m. New South Wales time, 5 p.m. Queensland time. And as usual, I'll go and fuck myself. Thank you.